0: A statistician by qualification, Shui Agbade has evolved to becoming a resourceful learning and development specialist that is passionate about helping young professionals discover their purpose and become better versions of themselves. His journey into the world of knowledge transfer started in his National Youth Service days, where he served his nation as a mathematics teacher and later grew to become the head teacher at Meadow Hall Junior School, Lekki Lagos. He soon realized his newfound love of building and molding mines and decided to pitch his tents there. He obtained a BSc in Mathematics from the University of Lagos and has a PGDE, as well as a Level 3 Award in Education and Training from Highfields Universities, UK in the bag. He is completing his MBA degree program with the University of Lagos, while undertaking a Master's in Leadership from the Liverpool John Moores University, as well as an Associate Diploma in Learning and Development from the Chattered Institute of Personnel Development, CIPD, UK. As a learning technology enthusiast, he continually seeks 21st century pedagogy, receiving several certifications from Microsoft, Google, and other technology giants. Being a lifelong learner himself, he has always been passionate about professional development, and this has seen him become a regular trainer and facilitator in several capacities including seminars and conferences such as the Transformation Summits, the annual Meadow Hall Educamp held in Lagos and Port Harcourt, which hosts hundreds of professionals yearly, just to mention a few. He has also served as a human capacity development consultant with a number of public and private institutions, such as the Lagos State Ministry of Education, Akma International School owned by Salvation Ministries, Evergreen Schools, Enugu, and many more. He has influenced the lives of many globally with his many initiatives, such as the Impact Educators Virtual Conferences, 100 Seconds with Essay, and many more. Ladies and gentlemen, with a rousing ovation, Make welcome to the In this
1: session, we have the honor of hosting Nancy Ekpizu. Nancy Ekpizu is a professional administrator and life coach. She has worked in the education sector for over 25 years. She is the author of the highly impactful book, Dear Educator, which was published in May, 2019. She is currently the lead consultant and trainer of Pezu Smith Consulting. Nancy has spoken at several reputable platforms locally and internationally, including a TEDx talk. In 2018, she was nominated for an award by the prestigious Art Lights for Education Advancement in Africa for her contribution to the development of education in Nigeria. Her wealth of knowledge in administration will be very vital as she discusses the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on administration. We welcome Nancy Kwezu.
2: Good day, Miss Nancy Epezu, and you're welcome to the Impact Educators Summit 2020. It's such an honor to have you with us. But for the benefit of those that may not know you very well or may be meeting you for the first time, please do us the honor of introducing yourself to ma'am.
3: Oh, I'm really delighted to be here. I'm Nancy Pezu. I'm a professional administrator and I've been a school administrator in four recruitable schools in Nigeria. I'm also the author of the book, The Educator, which was published last year. And I have a Facebook community where I share content on school administration and management. I'm also currently the CEO and the founder of Pezu Smith Consulting, and it's my pleasure to be here this evening.
2: Wow! Thank you very much, ma'am. So, as a management consultant and coach working in the education space in Nigeria, what has the acceptance level been like?
3: Um, I think um, I think relatively consulting is there. even though we have lots of consultants, I think we do not even have enough. I think it's it's an area that still has a long way to go in the area of development. I hear complaints a lot. I'm relatively new in consulting, but I hear complaints from all the consultants, you know, about people not even understanding the role of consultants in a school, in the education sector. Everybody just feels, oh well, we can do it on our own and they always wait until maybe there's a big problem. Instead of seeking professional advice and having someone put them through from the beginning. There are schools that just start on their own, you know, nobody guides them. And then along the line, they they get into trouble and they're like, oh, I think we should have done it this way or that way. I think from the onset, a consultant could have helped. I'm currently working with a four-year-old school somewhere in the south. And believe me, I was shocked at how the school started. And it's meant to be quite a reputable school and they've they run into problems. I think the COVID-19 pandemic actually exposed a lot of things. And so everybody started running around looking for help. Incidentally, they are also short of money at this point in time, so it's kind of tough. So but I was surprised to hear about the kind of cases they actually have in the school, the issues that they are grappling with. And I'm wondering, you've been in operation for four years now. This is your fifth year. And you mean this is the foundation of where the school was founded, you know. So for such a thing, you would have expected that from the get-go, they would have got a good consultant to put them through what, what and what to do to grow their school or to put the right structure in place. But that's not really the case. Most people just want to do it on their own and then until they run into problems. You know, big words normally that could almost lead to ending the school. That's when they look for help. So I think there needs to be a lot of awareness um, to let people know the role that consultants can play, you know, in getting schools done properly. And then there's also the issue of having a lot of fake um, consultants. I will use the word fake cautiously. Maybe I would say people who are not exactly experienced because i don't think you should be advising anyone on something you haven't done for example i if anybody needs help with their curriculum i would be a wrong person to be referred to for that but if you have an issue in management or school leadership or administration definitely that's my tough and i would be really willing to but i see i think in a bit to survive people get into areas where they are not exactly qualified to be consultants and it's quite a challenge putting a tab on who should do what because there's no proper control so it's a bit confusing and so those who are out to do the right thing do not get the kind of attention that they should be getting because there's so many voices and so many people telling everybody what to do even about things that they are not qualified to tell anybody anything about.
2: Wow. So that's a very key point there. So we still have a lot of work to do in terms of getting the schools to understand the role of the consultants. And then we also have work to do in getting the consultants to focus on their areas of competence and not dabbling into just about everything. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely.
2: All right, ma'am. So what would you consider the greatest challenge you have faced working in this education sector?
3: I think it's the perception people have of educators. You know, I was having a conversation um, just a few days ago and someone said to me, I've never understood how you're so brilliant and you just opted to be in the education sector. And then I'm like, who is meant to be in the education sector? If people are going to be educating and preparing the leaders of, of our nation, of the world, we should actually be the best people doing that. You know, we shouldn't have people who had the lowest cutoff points in JAM, or, you know, had poor grades in their school sets, dumped, you know, into studying education in the university and then coming out not to give the best. Or people are real frustrated. So there's a perception about education that I'm very worried about. But I'm glad that I had quite a lot of feedback from parents this period. I think they had to do the job of educators homeschooling their kids and staying home to do a whole lot of things. And suddenly they're like, oh, these people we have always looked at in a particular way, are actually doing a great job. It takes a lot of skills to be with a child all day long, to be with several kids, to be with 23 kids want to give your all every day year in, year out, for an entire school year and keep going on and on for twenty years and thirty years and forty. So I think educators deserve a special place in you know in every budget in every nation. So the perception is something I'm not comfortable about. You would hardly hear of any parent encouraging their kids to say, oh uh, you know, in fact if you just mentioned that you want to be a teacher, people think there's something wrong with you. So we want to see a change in that perception. And I think it has to do with just not giving priority to it. And the people thinking that it's something to hop on when they do not have jobs. Uh, you know when other sectors have failed them or they haven't made the interviews to be in the banks or the oil companies and then they just end up there like they're just you know passing through while they look for something else it's not a very nice one in fact i referred to this very perception thing in my book The Educator i dedicated an entire chapter to treat it and basically the whole book was really about creating a different perception about teachers because i've met really incredibly amazing teachers you know that have inspired me and that are doing amazing even in, in nigeria here and it would be nice to see a lot more of such people who feel proud you know in their skin to just say yes i'm an educator and people are not looking at them with self-pity and wondering oh did they get in there by mistake or was it a, their life dream to be you know educators So we need to change the perception. That's really what I think. There's still a very strong perception about people who go into teaching, like they're not good enough, or maybe there's something wrong with them, or maybe they couldn't get admission to study medicine or pharmacy or engineering or accounting, you know. And it's not so. I think we should get to the point where someone wakes up and just desires to go to school to study education. And desires to do a master's degree in education not because it's the cheapest course available but because that is really your utmost desire innermost quest you know to do the best and then to leave it and, and be someone that could be envied by others you know because it takes a lot of passion it takes a lot to actually be in this sector
2: wow perception is very key and um, i think our government has a lot to do as well you did, like you just talked about the last cutoff mark that was just released for colleges of education was 100. I mean if JAM is expecting you once you get 100 out of 400, so 25% is good enough to be a teacher. That's in- indirectly what they are saying to us. And when you have a government that is budgeting consistently for about 10-15 um, years, about 5-6% to 6% of our national budget goes to education. That tells us that they have actually seen education as not so very important and that's why a lot of people are looking at it that way as well. All right, man, so let's talk about your book which is their Educator. I mean it's a much sought after book by educators all over the world. Talk to us about what motivated you to write that book and for those listening now, what are they going to get for getting that particular book? I
3: was inspired to write that book to change the narrative. First of all, if you see the quality of the book, from the production to the editing to everything, it just speaks excellence. I remember when someone asked me, why would you spend this much to produce a book that is meant for teachers? Implying that, you know, they, can't afford it or they do not end well. And I said, the book itself is a message. It's actually saying to you, this is your worth. You know, it's measuring worth to you and saying to you that you deserve the best. And it doesn't matter how much it costs to produce it, but that they, I'm just saying that this is for you. This is meant to actually pass a message across that it, because it's for educators, it doesn't mean it has to be mediocre or cheap. Basically, it's a message that is meant to help um, the educators' mindsets, to let them know that they need to accept themselves. And then also to get a global mindset I remember a chapter where I shared about um, tech skills, developing your tech skills. And those who have read it and started, began to tell me thank you, sending messages all over when the pandemic started. Because quite a number of them didn't even own a smartphone before they read that book. And those who began to evaluate. And then, um, and, and there were so many things there. It talked about your personal grooming, your executive presence as a teacher, it talks about you know networking and the the importance of personal and professional development so it basically touches on you know the soft areas that we usually neglect as educators there's nothing about classroom control and all of the other things expected of books that you know are for educators it just talks about getting you together your personal branding as a teacher you know your presence on social media even things like body um, hygiene your your hygiene and things like that so that people can perceive you in a right way because the truth is there are some uncomfortable things discussions we do not like to have in as much as there's a perception about teachers how do the teachers carry themselves how, how do they see themselves? Yes, everybody sees them. A lot of people see teachers in a certain way. But how do the teachers see themselves? Because that's what really matters. And that's where it has to start from. So even if, the, even if the government says, okay, now we're increasing salaries for teachers, we're doing this until there's an internal work, until the teachers have to redefine who they are, then we will not make much progress. So I think the bulk of the job also has to do with you know, the teachers defining themselves in the right way so that they will be perceived properly by the society. And that's the message for the Educator. It's actually wow. written as a series of letters, a series of letters, you know, in a very easy to read language. It's a book you can sit and just finish in, in a day. I've got testimonials of people who read the book in a whole day and couldn't even put it down. And I have lots of them on my website right now.
2: Wow. So the their educator is a must read for every educator.
3: I think it is. There's a school in um, Alblinin. There's actually they've made it mandatory for all of their teachers to read the book for every new hire. I was blown away by all of the testimonials and reviews that have come in. So I decided to start publishing some of them because sometimes you're doing a great job with something and people don't know about it. True. And I'll usually say that's like winking in the dark, you know. So for the for the educator, I need to create a lot more awareness because it's having far more impact than what I ever thought it would.
2: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Great work, man. All right, ma'am, you've spoken at several reputable platforms, both locally and internationally, including the TEDx talk as well. So talk to us about the first time you had to face an international audience. What was it like? What was going through your mind? Fear, anxiety, excitement? What was going through your mind?
3: I'm an introvert. In my personality analysis shows 70% introvert and 30 you know, of, of, of everything else. But there's something I know, if you are determined to do something, you find a way to do it. Yeah, so sometimes I do it afraid. Like on Sunday, I'm speaking at at an event, a webinar, and I'm the only Nigerian there. I think there are about eight speakers or nine, I think eight or nine, and I'm the only Nigerian. And uh, the thing is, if you're able to put yourself, have a, a positive footprint, and people begin to see it, it just opens doors, that's how it is. But yes, you feel the fear sometimes, and yes, you feel feel as shy as anybody else, but you know, you just go ahead and do it because you have a passion for what you do and it keeps you going.
2: Wow. Thank you very much, ma'am. All right, let's go into the topic that you'll be looking at in detail today, which is the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on the school administration. Can you give us a broad overview of what to expect in terms of this pandemic and how this affects school administration?
3: Okay, first, I, people have asked me, has administration changed? Is everything the same? And I'm always quick to say, no, the core functions of administration have not changed. What has changed is the way that we do those core functions. So coordinating, budgeting, supervising, planning, organizing, those are still the core functions of administration. But you know, in organizing and supervising, we're not meeting physically anymore. So it means that every administrator in 2020, post-pandemic, and even right now, we're already in post-pandemic anyway, because I understand as soon as China opened their doors and declared themselves free, we had actually entered a new era, which is the post-pandemic era. So we're, we would say technically that we're already in the post-pandemic era, okay? Because some countries have opened their shops and businesses already, things are moving. So basically, the skills that you need to develop as an administrator must include virtual team management. You must know how to manage a team remotely and virtually. I've been interviewing for a school, uh, you know, for admin, and one of the skills I actually put there was that you you should be able to manage a virtual team. So it's been thrown on us now that it is a core skill now for an administrator in 2020 to have the skills for managing a remote or virtual team. And that means if you're not tech savvy as an administrator, then there's a big problem because you can't give what you do not have. So the honor is on us now. We must understand how to manage a virtual team or, you know, a remote team. And that means you need to be tech savvy. You need to know the right tools. It's also going to impact on the way we market our schools, the marketing aspect. Because right now, I don't see schools producing flyers right now. It doesn't mean we don't have need, much need for them. And so, any administrator that doesn't know to coordinate their team to have strong, like strong online presence, and to be able to put what they do out there in a, in a way that they get visible, then they'll be. You know, it means that they're living behind the times. And then of course the team that we manage as administrators, we must be able to have a needs assessment of the skills they need in order to actually thrive in the present reality. So I understand some schools had to even lay off a few teachers who couldn't teach virtually. Yeah, because the parents will be embarrassed to know that their child's teacher couldn't teach virtually. So quietly, they just ask them to go so that they won't face embarrassment, you know. So basically, you know, a lot depends on the administrator. So if there's a vibrant administrator who is, you know, at par with what's going on with the rest of the world, developing his own skills and getting to know what's going on, they'll be able to impact that, you know, on the rest of the team. But basically, a lot, a lot of emphasis is on skills right now, a whole lot of emphasis, especially tech skills. I've had to do so much learning, you know, if, even this period. I'm a very tech and, you know, hands-on person, but I had to do a whole lot of learning. I had to even learn, Like right now, if I were to manage a school, I would need to know how we're going to schedule posts and save time. It means that we'll need a scheduler all of the posts that will manage our presence on LinkedIn, manage our presence on Facebook, manage our presence on Twitter and Instagram without spending the whole day there. As I speak to you, I've already programmed the, uh, the posts that I'll be dropping in the next few days to all of my social media because I know the right tools to use. So if, if an administrator in 2020 is not going to go the extra mile in technology and, and save time and save cost and save, you know, all of the stress that will come with managing a physical team, then it means the person has a whole lot to do. So I would say that first of all, in as much as we need to do a needs assessment for our team, we should start with ourselves, a self audit. What do I need to do as an administrator? What is going on with the rest of the world? How? What skills are I working? How do I join an international team so that I know what and what is going on and how to bring it down here? Because you don't just import things without localizing them. So you need to know what working elsewhere, how do I bring it here, how do I localize it so that it works for my peculiar environment. But basically we need to be more internationally minded as administrators. And then of course we have to also utilize our teams. A lot of the skills that we need, you may be surprised that is one or there are one or two people on your team who actually have those skills and if you're able to manage them properly then you could get one or two of them to train the rest of the team and save costs because right now schools need to look at ways to save expenses and costs on everything that they do because it's so uncertain what exactly is even in store for us. So all the expenses, oh, we're a big school, we can do this. You know, we can just streamline expenses to suit the current reality. And that means every administrator has to also look at the finances of the organization. There has to be proper budgeting. If they've, maybe if they've been doing a budget just for the you know sake of it or it's just protocol, this is the time now to look at the expenses and to say, hey, every department you must submit your input into the budget we must meet with the accountant and go through every item do we need this what do we have in the store now um do we must we buy or can we just refurbish what we have how do we buy in bulk Uh, all of this must affect every aspect of the up to procurement it must affect Aspect of the organization. Some organizations buy things in bulk. You just pack them in the store and you use and use. And some get bad, then you throw them away. This is not the, not the time to be wasteful. Every administrator must learn, learn to be prudent and actually manage every resource in the best possible way to maximize their use. If you have items that can be refurbished and you look at the cost of buying a new one and refurbishing, and this can still stretch for a few years, for heaven's sake, you go ahead and refurbish. Instead of buying things in bulk, you could decide, okay, we're going to arrange with our vendors, we'll have our supplies, maybe for cleaning materials or whatever, we'll have them um, sent in every two weeks. Instead of just buying everything in bulk and packing there, you know. And then of course, you also need to look at ways that you can um, also um, bring in income. Maybe you've had a caterer, okay, who has a contract to handle the school lunch. You could decide, well, now we need to have, uh, maybe we do it ourselves, you know. Even the cleaning materials, if it's a very high-brow school, you could decide to maybe produce it in the home economics department.
2: Oh. Buy and this can also be sold for income
3: exactly so every little thing you can do to save costs you need to sit with your team as an administrator and look at every aspect of the school every aspect of the school how do we do this hall? can we rent it maybe to people who want to have weddings a uh, post-covid 19 you know can we open a swimming pool to outsiders and have lifeguards there and make a little money for the maintenance at least or for other things. You know you just have to think of everything that will help you save costs and also help you generate income or you know just at least help you not to go down. So that's the role of the administrator of this program. Basically skills, cool. the skills of the staff will need to be maximized. So it may not be enough for someone to just be a home economics teacher and be teaching this theory. You may need to put it to use to save the organization. You may need to manage even the kitchen. You could have people in the home economics department. You have them, you give, give them a roster and say, okay, you're supervising the kitchen on Monday. Someone else supervises on Tuesday. So that you just maximize the skills of everybody that you have and save costs on, you know, giving contracts here and there. Because really, sometimes we leave teams that have far more skills than we think they do. Because we don't involve them in decision making or we don't get their input enough. And so they leave us as administrators to just do our thing when they can help. So because everybody knows what is at stake now and that if this organization closes due to financial bankruptcy or whatever, so we know that they need to supply what they can to save the organisation. So basically, I see people maximizing their skills more in organisations after this whole period because it has all taught us a lesson so that you could wake up today and have a job, and the next day you do not have it. Sure for no fault of yours, not because we were not good enough in your skills, but maybe just because there was probably poor management from the administrator or just for unforeseen circumstances like the COVID-19. So I see teams working better now. I see school owners getting their teams more involved and telling them the reality so that there's a set a direction. I see people strategizing more and having a clear vision because really, what COVID-19 has done is to reveal so much that, you know, some schools do not even have a clear vision. Anything goes. Anything so this goes. is the time for strategic session. What is even our vision? Why do we even buy this kind of resources? Is it in line with our vision? Maybe it's time to just concentrate on the very reason why we created this school, why we opened it in the first place. It has um, helped a lot to get people to think strategically and not just to live for every day, you know, the everyday operations. It's going to affect operations, it's going to affect strategy, it's affecting basically every part of the school, affecting relationships with parents. Some parents had more confidence in some schools and then they see there's so much uncoordination, maybe in the way the online school was done and they're like, oh, this school have been respecting like this, this is what's going on. And some, maybe schools that were even small and underrated, were able to get things done in a more organized way. So it has revealed a whole lot. And then some, maybe due to the pressure, they didn't even know how to approach the parents or get their input, and some will lose parents. So there's a whole lot. And definitely when schools resume, there are some parents who have lost their jobs. True. Most likely they'll opt for cheaper schools. And then, some of those schools that have lost their, their kids will also have from the ones that were a little bit more expensive okay than theirs. So, I see people just settling into their class and getting more real, hopefully, and then even fee collection. This lockdown was almost towards the end of the term, and I understand that quite a number of schools had not even collected their, their fees. So it means that there's a problem with fee collection. Their finance policies need to be revisited. Why do we allow parents to stay till end of term? Are we running philanthropy? Oh. Are we running a profitable organization? Are we doing it so that people just see the numbers in the school and say, oh, that school has 600 children. Meanwhile, only 200 are paying fees it regularly. Is. So you need to, because I had, on my last job, I headed a team of almost a 1,000 students. And believe me, we achieved 100% fee collection. And that didn't happen by magic. It happened because as soon as I got there, I put processes in place. I put policies. And I let the parents know I missed all the fight. This is how we're doing it. The former person let us just say, no, we have a new administrator. And I will not take this so we need to get this right and as as they came in almost fighting and getting so angry with me before we before we knew it we had a stable system that's the role of an administrator and so if you're going to be there pleasing every parent who comes with storage because some of us parents will have money for burials Exactly. And buy uniforms and buy big, uh, big headgears, you know, for for burials, for weddings, for everything. If, they ch- if a child's education is not top priority to a parent and they're spending on other things, then I don't think I need such parents in the school where I had. So I need to either straighten you up or, you know, you find somewhere else where that is tolerated. So, I see school administrators getting stricter with fee collection, having stringent policies that are not on paper but are implemented so that this actually works because it's telling on everyone.
2: Wow, you've said so much and you've covered just about every aspect of the school administration. Thank you very much, ma'am. I would also like us to focus a bit more on finance. I've heard a number of school leaders and um, owners talking about some investments, some projects that they had gone to before the COVID pandemic in the anticipation that, okay, we'll get fees at the end of the term or we'll get fees at this time and then we'll balance off all these things and things will be fine and all of a sudden the pandemic came up and a lot of those projects are hanging now. Some of them are running bankrupt. They don't know how to fund these things. What would you advise in such cases where they have plunged into investment, hoping to get fees and now the fees are not coming? How can they come out of this kind of situation?
3: Every business comes with its risk. And um, I, we, they, well, that would depend on how enormous the project is. But I think we also need to get to that point where we know that we can collaborate as individuals and that there's nothing wrong with measures even in the education sector and um, and there's nothing wrong with partnerships. I think because of the fear of um, a lack of integrity that is so, you know, found amongst us, it just doesn't make room for a lot of things that allow for more progress. But my advice really would be sometimes you need to be really careful, especially those big loans. I like schools to just grow bit by bit. It's usually easier to track it that way than just receiving big loans to start schools. So I wouldn't know the nature of the project, but if it's something that uh, maybe they need to have a rethink about, if they've gone really far, then they're stuck with it and they only have to just find a way around it. Because really, it may not be the same solution for every organization. Once you get all of the details involved, it could be that they are handling a big project, but it came from their own money. It could be that they're handling a big project and it is actually um, a loan. You no, know, maybe other people's money or whatever. So each person will have to handle his case according to the details and how enormous their own case is. For smaller schools, I would say that they may have to have a rethink about, but even having partnerships. Because really, we, sometimes you see about 15 schools on a street. And these are schools that are struggling. How about if you have, you, know, you have a whole 100% of a struggling school that is just small, and then you have four people coming together to have a moderately big school that can make a name. Maybe it may maybe just be nicer to be part of a bigger thing that is more reputable than you know just be playing your game in a small way perhaps a mindset thing but that's what i think
2: oh i mean that's that's something we definitely need to start exploring especially in the education sector Mergers yeah, we and need partners in mm-hmm. yeah. all right man. wow okay so would you consider this pandemic as a silver lining for the education sector
3: Silver so lining, <laughs> I wouldn't know what to say about that, but I think it has helped to really shake everybody up. Honestly, their skills have learned in the past. I've always been a tech person doing my stuff, but suddenly it just dawned on me that look, the future of work we've been talking about is, is suddenly just trust on everybody like that, you know? So I would say that it has had its positives really shaking everybody and making us realize the need to really up our game in terms of our skills and and in terms of collaboration and i think it has also opened the global stage more because never has there been a time where people are just you know you know collaborating internationally everybody suddenly everybody's forgotten who is who because we are all faced with the same problem You know, right now I'm getting invites even from people in Indonesia who have checked my website. Oh, I like what you're doing. Let's come and partner with you. Come and coach me as one of your trainers on your website. You know, I get... Right there. Yeah, even yesterday, someone just saw my website and was like, wow, I just saw you on LinkedIn and I, I visited your website, I think we need to talk, let's get together, I need to be one of your trainers or employ me as your freelancer, or, you know, whatever, you know, so that, those kind of things were not common before now. I think because, because this is hitting everybody and it's coming to us um, to make us more realistic, and um, for people to also know that all of the boundaries that are held in you know, one country from another have been broken. And right now, you can wake up right now and get a job and not have to be there. You can work from Nigeria and be employed you know, in another country and not have to relocate there and still get your job done. So for me, that is a plus that um, COVID-19 came with, just breaking the international you know, frontiers and everybody can relate on you know kind of the same level and it's so it's, it's people are a lot more accessible right now We just uh, an inbox to someone i mean i can't tell you how many contacts i've had in the past few weeks wow just can yeah, inboxing you okay i'm working on this project in qatar would you like to join me and i'm like wow this never happened before the pandemic, you know? Suddenly everybody's realizing that it's about skills now and that you can get it from anywhere. You have the time now to sit down and look, you know, look all through the internet, look at contacts, people they may have been usually ignored before and so they're suddenly realizing everybody's doing this here or they're also doing that in Nigeria. That's fine, you know, let's come together because really nobody has all of the solutions. And collaboration is key in the 21st century, and at this point time, it's really key right now.
2: Wow. Thank you very much, ma'am. Alright, ma'am, if you had the opportunity to be the Minister of Education for one day in Nigeria, what would you do with your time in office?
3: Well, with my time in the office, I think I'll be very, very um, particular about the processes. You know, I'm an administrator, and I do know that quite a number of money goes into the education sector, far more than we know. Processes do not allow it to get to the right places. So if, uh, if, for example, the people who are going to handle the project are so well taken care of and money goes in here, money goes there, and the very kids that should be affected are not quite as affected by, you know, the money. Then I think there's a problem because it is about the children we're educating. And if our processes are so cumbersome that they're not helping us to achieve the aim, then we need to revisit the the whole processes. So it's the processes of the, the allocation, the processes that I'll be very eager to get fixed up. Yeah.
2: Thank you very much, ma'am. Okay, so um, can you tell us about one habit that you feel has contributed to the level of success that you have achieved for yourself today?
3: well, I've never really seen myself as a huge success. I think I'm, I'm just starting out, <laughs> and um, I think I think it's the quest to always learn, to learn. Yeah, I never stop learning. I, on my last job, when I was, it was my send up. Everybody kept saying oh, Ms. Nancy, you, you met us in a certain way, we're I mean, not the same people that you, you met here. Yeah. Because I'll always, you know, nudge everybody out of their comfort zone. I'm someone who loves to learn. And I tell myself, even though I'm not a digital native, I want to be as good as the digital natives, you know, when it comes to technology. So I have a quest to always learn. And I don't ever feel too big to learn. That's one quality that I think has helped, yeah. And I can learn from anybody, be it a child, be it an adult, someone older, some of my contemporaries, I learn, yeah. And I like to keep it simple, yeah, I like to keep it simple as well.
2: (laughs) Thank you very much, ma'am. All right. so for people that would like to get to know more about you, find out more about what you do and connect with you, what's the best place for them to go to, ma'am?
3: My website, my LinkedIn page. And then, of course, my group, Educational Administration Network. Yeah, but I think my, I do a lot on my website. I have a blog wow. on www.nancyacresu.com. I share content for school administrators and school leaders and um, also for basically workplace administration and uh, management. And I write a few articles for educators as well. So my website would be the best place to catch me right now. And then, of course, I've been busy on LinkedIn lately and I have a Facebook group, Educational Administration Network. Yeah.
2: Wow. Thank you very much, ma'am. Now, um, on a more personal note, how has this pandemic affected you personally?
3: Well, for me, initially when it came, it came with a lot of uh, mixed feelings and confusion you know, like anybody else. I just, when people uh, call me, oh, what do we do? And I had to be open to I said, I don't even know what to do right now. I'm trying to figure it out, process it myself. But as the days went by, I then saw that it, it actually helped me to stay in and have solitude, have times for reflection. And I was able to, um the habits that I had started losing, like journaling, I was able to sit down and start journaling. It helped me to process you know, the whole um, happenings. And um, it also helped me to just read. I had had books that I had bought and they were just there because I had to train here, travel to Abuja, be in Enugu tomorrow and do stuff with my training and consulting. It didn't leave me with enough time to for research like the way I would have. So I was able to spend time to read and to do some research and you know, also to complete my second book, The School Administrators Companion, which will be launched very soon. So I would say that it's been it's been put to meaningful use for me. Initially, it came with confusion and a bit of, it was so much uncertainty. What do I do? How do we even navigate this? What do I tell people that want me to mentor them at this period, you know? And I don't like to uh, let people know that I have it all together. I have to let them know, please, please. So I'm trying to process this whole thing, you know? And so, but basically, I think it's been well, it's been well spent for me. And I will look back at this period and be grateful. Because there were so many things that could have happened. I mean, I could have got COVID nineteen. I didn't. I had. To, I remember that I had to journal every morning. I had a gratitude. So every morning, I would write ten things that I was grateful for. Oh, wow. and, and no matter how tough it was, I would find. Even if it was that I made a new contact on LinkedIn. You know, I would just say, well, oh, I, thank, I thank God that I met this person today. I thank God for the way he perceives me, that he even invited me to be on his project, you know, maybe in Qatar or something, or oh, I like, I like this person I met. I would just journal for things that I took for granted. I would journal them and say thank you. So it was a time to just not take anything for granted. You know, Even the freedom to hug people, suddenly I began to thank God that I had had the privilege of being hugged and hugging people all my life, you know. Even for the smallest things that I had taken for granted, I had to start journaling. Every day I would say, I need to find 10 things today that I'm grateful for. Wow. So I would, I would try and write 10 things and it actually helps to keep me in the right attitude. I had to go even as far well back as my childhood. I'll say, well, thank God for all of the money that my parents spent on me, on my education. I thank you. I just had to find something every day, every day, me things to be grateful for. And it has become a habit now. And I formed that habit during COVID-19. So I'll always remember that.
2: Wow. Wow. I'm sure someone has taken that tip on I will do just likewise. Right all right, ma'am, before we go, you have given some very mouth-watering offers. I would just like to talk about them to our viewers before we end this now. So first of all, you have given your ebook, Managing Your Virtual Team. Now, this book originally cost 2,300 Naira, but for the benefit of those watching this and those attending this conference, you have given it out for 1,000 Naira only. That is a huge reduction. You've also given out the really? book. You've been talking about the much sought-after book, the dear educator, that has given out so many testimonies. You are giving yeah. it out for two thousand naira instead of three thousand naira. Wow, that's the dear educator <laughs> book. Fantastic. You are giving that out for two thousand naira only instead of three thousand naira for those that are attending. You're
3: three thousand five normally. Wow. So I'm giving. You, yeah, that's the educator. Wow.
2: Now, it doesn't even end there. You have given out a coaching session, a personal coaching session with you, which should actually cost 10,000 Naira per hour. But you are giving it out for just 4,000 Naira. That is 60% discount for those that are attending yeah. this conference. That is mind-blowing. And also, you are giving out a free coaching session. to so the first person to buy the ebook Managing Your Virtual Team. I mean, these are exclusive offers that you have given. All these exclusive offers are available to you during the period of this summit, the Impact Educator Summit 2020. Now, right now, at the bottom of this video, a code is scrolling by. All you need to do is copy down that code. When you make requests to get any of these resources, just put that code there and you get exclusive rights to all of these offers that have been given to you. Thank you very much, Ms. Nancy Ekwezi, for this wonderful, wonderful offers that you are giving out to our viewers today. So, before we shut this down, ma'am, any last comments for our viewers?
3: Well, um, I can extend the coaching to the first five people.
2: Wow. Wow. Thank you. So, you just got it there. She just extended the coaching to the first five people to purchase the book. Wow. Thank you very much, ma'am.
3: Okay, so my last word to everyone is, don't take anything personally. This COVID-19 is a pandemic, that means it's worldwide. And so it's happening to everybody. But you know, the way we process it is how it's going to affect us. And if you wake up every day angry and, you know, almost getting vitriolic, that you've lost your job or that this is going wrong, maybe it's time to just reflect on the times when it worked right. I'd be grateful. Maybe it's also a time to work on your skills, you know, because right now, if, if any organization is laying off people, they are going to start with the ones whose performance has not been, you know, excellent. Usually no organization will want to lose the best hand. And so if they are letting you go easily without batting an eyelid, it may also be time to reflect that. So I know the pandemic contributed, but even during the pandemic, they would always want to keep the ones who are really invaluable to the organization. So what I want you to do, be that person who is invaluable, whom the organization will not want to do without, whom your employer will say, no, I have to keep this person because he or she is so precious to me and has contributed to the development of my organization. You know, just before the COVID-19, the school where I was an administrator for the first time, that was in 2005. They actually gave me a call. I came to the school and they honored me. Yeah, because they realized that I was I was actually a star employee wow. and they've never been able to get that quality since I left, in, wow. you know. I was there in 2005 up to 2000 and I think nine or 10 when I left them. And that was my first school administration um, position. But, you know, um, sometimes people just walk into an organization and when they are gone, they are gone. Nobody remembers them. So be that person who will be remembered 10 years after that they will say, oh, we've been trying to replace someone for this position, but we haven't found. And that means you have to show integrity, you know, because that's a very rare quality these days. Sometimes you may know the job and not have integrity along with it. So add add integrity to professionalism and ethics and then stay humble and deliver on your job. Your employers will love that and remember you and be loyal to the organization. This is not the time to leave your employer and badmouth them because they are also going through a lot. So put yourself in their shoes. What would you do if you were in their shoes with all of the mess and everything going on? So be that employer who is understanding, who is able to at least stick with an employer um, for this period. Be that employee. Mm. All
2: right. Thank you very much, Miss Nancy Etezu. It's been such a wonderful time having you share your thoughts and insights with us. I've totally enjoyed this, and I'm sure our viewers have learned a lot from this as well. Once again, thank you very much, ma'am.
3: You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah.